Mini episode 1470 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1470. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with two of my fellow FDH Lounge original dignitaries, and uh, as I have nicknamed this, the best damn draft coverage show, period. Uh, we've been doing this for a number of years, the three of us, going through, breaking down the NFL draft, uh, doing a preview and a recap of it. And uh, it is always uh, very spirited from the uh, work that we have put in and uh, studying these guys' opinions formed and uh, the way that we are reacting to what else is out there in the atmosphere about this as well. We'll have some things to say about what the coverage has been uh, because there are always some things in particular that make me rant this time of year, as I know might be the case with the other fellows. So uh, I reach out and make the tag here, first of all, to our senior editor, Jason Jones, who is the uh, major guru of our draft coverage every year with our player rankings and uh, top overall rankings in the draft. Uh, that is being formulated basically as we speak. Jason, along with me, will have a mock draft that goes in our draft guide that is going up in the next couple of days on FantasyDraftHelp.com, that being, of course, Pro Football Draftology 2022. Jason Jones, I know this is one of your favorite times of year for being able to evaluate and talk about players, and uh, always a pleasure to break it down with you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of the days on the calendar I look forward to. If my math is not incorrect, I believe we might be inching up on 15 years of this. Uh, which I just feel like needs to be mentioned. <laughs> but as it goes, uh, I was thinking about getting ready for this today, and uh, a thought occurred to me I'd like to share real quick. Um, every year, it seems like we're always trying to quantify where the respective position groups lie in a comparative sense with other drafts. And for instance, you'll recall there's been at least three drafts we've done where we have uttered some version of, I think this is the best receiver draft in quite some time. Yeah. Um, that's all great, and I love it, uh, but it's going to make this draft, pre-show, post-show, guide, all of it, just a little bit more exciting this time, because guess what? Uh, I don't think we're saying that about anything, which makes this draft very unique and very interesting. Um, the national pundits that, that need the ratings, We'll try to convince you that this is great top to bottom. Um, I think there are as many bad groups as there are good groups. So once we get through the minutiae of it, we'll figure it all out. But uh, this one might get entertaining. I think it's going to, no question about that. And uh, to go back on the history of it here, Jason, uh, I think one of the first times you and I were ever on air together at the Old Sports Talk Network was actually the coverage of the 2005 NFL Draft. And uh, that was, I think, one of your first times. You were basically just an embryo in the broadcast world at the time there. And uh, getting it started out by the next year, 06. And I know you remember this one, dude. 
That was the one where we went. I, it was one of the years when the draft was still on a Saturday, of course. I think we went 14 hours. We started a couple hours before the draft. I think we went until about 9 o'clock that night. We, we just kept going and going. And Anthony Patron said that he had managed to book us Troy Aikman, and still waiting for that to happen. Uh, Troy uh, no-showed us, <laughs> if indeed he ever was booked. But uh, that one there, man, the 06 draft, uh, we, we were the marathon men that day, buddy. Yeah, no, that was that was fun. Was, um, matter of fact, I'm trying to remember, because there was one, that first one you're talking about, uh, I remember very vividly being uh, young and, and very excited to be a part of it. And then I remember a dapper young uh, Rick Morris <laughs> tossing it to me for the first time and almost figuratively um, messing up my pants. <laughs> that first moment when you realize the, the, the seconds are ticking, you better start talking to them. Uh, but after that, after that first moment, yeah, we were off to the races and we went and kept going. Uh, that was that was just fun beyond anything else. And then, you know, we've even, as, as Spectrum goes, we've done live shows, we've done on location, we've done all this. So, yeah. We have been doing this for a while. We have indeed, and I tell you, that was a thing back in the day when uh, I remember that first uh, one in 05 there that uh, I, I made it a habit back in the day because this was before you'd come on board and taken the reins of the draft coverage when it was me doing it with the guide, with the station, and sort of being the draft person at the time. I was trying to draft the part, so I was basically uh, drafting like uh, basically, you know, essentially trying to look like uh, the, the classier version of a mobster, if you will. I, I think maybe the monochrome tie and shirt with the uh, blazer. So it was uh, something I was going for at the time. And uh, a, a man who has seen me embody all ranges of fashion over a long period of time is our other FDH lounge dignitary who has been a part of this uh, process here. Every year, one of our draft regulars, my old friend, Chris Galloway. Chris, always great to have you on, buddy. And uh, I, I know that must trigger any number of memories when I reference any kind of my fashion. <laughs> well, it's pretty bad, so I'm just trying to block <laughs> that out. Um, it's, it's great to be here. And uh, I do want to clarify one thing. Uh, Anthony Patron had indicated uh, back in 05 that he had booked for you Trey Oakman. I think you, I think you misheard that. It was just a guy named Trey Oakman. Um, anyway, uh, a neighbor of his from Stowe. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we always have fun doing this. Uh, like Jason, I look forward to it. Uh, the draft is one of my favorite uh, hobbies, if you will, and I love uh, to watch it. I miss the old days of Saturday Sunday, but me too. You know, I've come to adapt and, and enjoy what it is now and being a three day event. Certainly, as I get older and, and have more things going on, it certainly makes. Uh, life a little easier in terms of making the draft more uh, bite-sized. Uh, so from that standpoint, I don't mind, and uh, we get to watch it over three days. So, Well, it is, as uh, Jason had indicated before, this is not one of the stellar groupings of talent all the way around uh, in this year's draft class. There are some positions stronger than others, and uh, one of the features that I handle in our draft guide is the strength of ratings, or strength of positions in draft ratings, rather. And uh, so I'm going to read them off here and let you guys react to them. The great positions in this draft, wide receiver, defensive end, offensive tackle, and cornerback. Very good. Inside linebacker. Good. 
guard and safety. Average uh, crop is defensive tackle, poor running back, center, outside linebacker, very poor quarterback and tight end, horrible, none. So uh, I'll start with you, Chris. Anything you would quibble with off of that? No, I think that's pretty accurate. I think, you know, top to bottom, I give this class uh, right now about a C, C-minus rating. Um, there's some nice talent sprinkled throughout um, that'll be available in every round, but this is not a draft that any a talent tool that anyone's going to look back on in time and say, boy, that was a real uh, injection of skill and talent into the NFL in that draft class. Um, there's going to be some good, really good players, but um, I think your I think your analysis is right. I think wide receivers solid. I like the corners. Um, frankly, those are really the two I like the most, along with defensive end. After that, I think I think most of the position groups can just sort of be lumped into sort of you know, eh, okay, there's some guys there, um, but nothing nothing that gets me excited like some classes in years past. So I, I agree with the sentiment. Jason shared on that. Okay, uh, Jason, anything, uh, any quibbles that you would have there? Uh, any positions you'd have rated higher or lower than I did? Yes, but not really. Um, the one area, and again, this comes from a place of selfishness, um, I think if we're looking at the top, defensive tackle really only has like two or three really great prospects, mm-hmm. and one of them is going to fall hard. Um but then after that, there are some there's some second and third level talent there that I really like. The catch is they're not going to be all purpose. Like you might be able to find a defensive tackle that gets a lot of penetration, but he may not necessarily be great against the run. Or you get a guy that's a two gap plug, but he's not all that athletic. So yes, overall, and this is a big point here, we're not saying that any one position is complete trash. It's just that overall, top to bottom, if you're looking at the whole field, there's a lot of them that are very underwhelming overall, and they'll still have some players. Uh, but that's, that's as close as I get to any sort of yeah but to this. Is After the after the top half of the second round when it comes to defensive tackles, you're going to have to start looking at specialists. And because of that, that's going to bring the rating of the, of the defensive tackles down. So I agree, but somebody might find a specialist somewhere that I like. There's a guy I like. I just don't know if he's going to be there. But anyway, uh, overall, yeah, uh, it's a little dicey. You don't look at any one group and say, wow, that's, we're going to look back at this and say that was the year that, you know, tight end was changed or something. It's, it's not going to happen. Well, the most important position in any draft, uh, just like it's the most important position on the field, is quarterback. Generally, we will talk about that first because that is where the marquee prospects in the draft are most years. Uh, that's not the case this year. This year, I just want to put quarterbacks out there at the outset so we can brush it off the table and get on to where there actually is talent. Because there's really not uh, not much worth uh, discussing here uh, in this position. And again, when you get into silly season, and everybody always manages to talk themselves into it. There's always a talk of like, this might be the year that uh, you know we don't see a quarterback go in the top ten. Well, that's only happened in this century, uh, in 2000 and 2013. Every other year that's happened. Somebody has talked themselves into it. Oh, we, you know, it, 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 it's like it's like the woman that says about a guy, I can change him, you know. He, he could, you know, he's husband material, I'll change him. 
That, that's what everybody talks themselves into uh, with these uh, quarterbacks here. It looks like this might not be the case this year. Uh, again, Willis Pickett could possibly uh, go high uh, in there. The kid from Mississippi, I'm seeing that he could go in the teens. That makes me shake my head a little bit. Ritter uh, on some mock drafts had been slipping into the first round. Uh, these are all guys that, uh, I mean, I think their absolute ceiling is probably in that 12 to 20 range in the league of where they're legitimate starters, but uh, again, not stars. Uh, do any of these guys, if everything goes perfectly, could any of these guys become star quarterbacks? Quite possibly. But Jason, I think it's a thing where, again, you know, there's a couple teams that are in the top 10 that really need quarterbacks, uh, Detroit, Carolina, etc., but uh, for anybody to be stupid enough to spend uh, one of their picks there, uh, that's something they're going to regret next year when the quarterback draft class is once again much better and they may not have the draft capital to go get a guy. This is tricky because you're absolutely right. There's going to be somebody who looks at this and says, yeah, but we could get the number one prospect of that position group and they will sit on that and make a bad decision. I'm just going to put this into real blunt context, uh, especially since we just so happen to be removed a certain distance from this particular draft. Um, in 2018, when we went into that draft, there was a sense that there were about four quarterbacks that were going to go first round, and most of them were going to go top half. Most of these quarterbacks do not carry a very positive sense right now. Okay, So obviously, Josh Allen is the outlier, so let's throw him out. There's not a Josh Allen in this draft, and don't pretend that there is. Uh, second, we got Baker Mayfield. Third is Sam Darnold. Fourth is Josh Rosen. And I'm telling you right now, every last one of these quarterbacks fits somewhere between Baker, Darnold, and Rosen. So the question becomes, if you're Carolina, if you're uh, one of these teams that, that needs the quarterback or at least is thinking about it, a Pittsburgh, for instance, um, you better be prepared to accept the fact that you're spending first-round draft capital and first-round salary on a guy that might not project to be better than Sam Darnold. And I would dare somebody to tell me that Pickett, Willis, heck, even Ritter from Cincinnati, who is rising, are even in that breath. Because if we go back, pre-draft, none of these guys measures up to Sam Darnold. And if you look at Sam Darnold now, Carolina who has him, is trying to replace him. So what are we talking about? It's quarterback musical chairs, and I think if anybody had their head on straight, they wouldn't pick a quarterback until the 20. Totally agree with that, and I know that, uh, Chris, I know you totally agree with that as well. Yeah, I do, and I, you, speak, you think about a quarterback in the 20s. I mean, that's what the Steelers are hoping for, right? They're hoping that, that the rest of the league is sane and they can get uh, take a flyer on Willis um, you know, later in the first round. Uh, but if you uh, correctly pointed out, Rick, these teams are usually not sane when it comes to quarterbacks. And there's nobody in this. There's nobody this year. Uh, Baker would be the num Baker Mayfield would be the number one quarterback by a country mile in this group this year. Holy crap! Um, so to, to 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 Jason's point, you know, none of these guys grade out in a way that that uh, you know you should be looking to spend a first round pick on. I I would have no faith in, in any of them in the first round. Um, I you know I I think a smart GM no one's you wouldn't take a quarterback on a flyer until at least the second round maybe the third 
because some of these guys are just not, they're not, you know, quarterbacks are always overvalued. So second round, if, you, if you're looking for a developmental prospect, that's probably where you got to do it. But um, there's nobody in this group that's really worth a first-round pick. Yeah, nobody really has a first-round grade out of, out of this draft class uh, by by consensus. Uh, it, it is pretty much agreed across the board uh, that uh, none of these players have an elite value put on them. Uh, they're going to be boosted on uh, everyone's draft boards simply because of the position. There is, in terms of the greater positions in the draft, uh, as we had alluded to previously, Certainly defensive end, one of them. And there had been a little bit of bantering about uh, months ago at the top of the draft, potentially between Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan and Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon. I want to take a moment here first and just rant about the national gaslighting that is going on. This this plague right now of uh, Thibodeau slander of where, oh, well, maybe he's not such an elite prospect. Can you really trust your eyes from the film? After all, look at uh, what what we've uncovered since the season ended. All that kind of garbage. All that kind of overthinking gaga. And, and again, all that needs to be said. Uh, I'm a big believer under certain circumstances of guilt by association. Anybody that wants to associate themselves with the opinions of Chris Sims is free to do so. I will never be one of those people. So just, just think about who you're lining up with there on that opinion of him. So... Before we get into any more of the specifics on it, because he's the one guy this year getting so unfairly banged on by everybody out there, and like, I don't know if he's a legitimate pick to go number one overall, as though we didn't see what we saw in his college career. I'll start with you on that one, Jason. Yeah, this whole narrative kind of surprised me a little bit. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm not in Beaverton. I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, from that perspective, but when you put the tape on, you're looking for certain things. Frame to start, obviously. You know, the guy's, what, I believe he's 6'4", six, 6'5", six, something like that. Uh, but he's your prototypical size you want. You put, you stand him up next to a, a Miles Garrett type, who's, you know, 6'4", 270. Yeah, he's going to look the part. And when you watch the tape, he looks the part. I think what this is, and this happens to somebody every year, yep. is you've got these national talking heads uh, who are probably getting most of their information from their production assistants or whatever, who, who are looking for something to say he's not perfect. Um, and then they're taking that something and they're blowing it up. They're disproportionately inflating small details while sacrificing big details in the grander scheme so that they can push some sort of narrative. <clears throat> I personally think that Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be one of those guys that you look at as a freak in college, and, he, and everything he does is what you want from that position. And I hate to be the contrarian to the national narrative, but I have a strong sense that Thibodeau will be a better pro than he was a college player. And if you can wrap your head around that, he's a top five player, period. I don't care what the other stuff says. Um, and what's funny about that is there's, there's going to be a couple guys you might get to one of which is also on the defensive line, that you might look at and say, yeah, you look the part, but there's something that concerns me. The what concerns me about Kayvon Thibodeau doesn't really concern me that much. I'm not worried about it, and as we mentioned before, I think somebody's going to get a number one, two, three level player, but they're going to end up 
spending a 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th pick to get him. And kudos to them for not wavering at this, you know, Olay of nonsense. Totally agree. And the only thing I can predict safely is that it'll be a team that I hate. Because that's always kind of how it goes. <laughs> it's it's always somebody like that. Maybe he slips fourteen to Baltimore. I could totally see that. I, I that's that's the way my that's the story it's of my life. You said that. Yeah. My brain was like, oh, if he goes to Baltimore, won't that just be perfect? Yeah. I mean, that's I'm tired of them getting these lucky picks. Baltimore should not have people falling in their lap every year. Yeah, I hope I didn't just manifest that reality. But, uh, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on it here. And the player who this year best embodies the silly season motto of reality isn't reality. Uh, I mean, Thibodeau's got, he's got size, he's got speed, he's got bends, he's got, he's got all those things that you look for. Um, probably could put on another 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, to get to get himself a little bit, he, he's a little light. Um, I think that's really my my only critique for the NFL is he's probably still a little light, but that's easily done in the weight room. A little more work, he'll get there. Um, I, I actually think that this is more. I'm going to guess that this is more of a talking head TV thing than it is a um, NFL board thing. And I'm going to think that he goes. He still goes in the top ten and doesn't and doesn't slide out of the top ten, which is where he should go in the top ten. So I, I'm going to I'm going to say that your your fear and your prediction of once again Baltimore lucking out and having uh, the, the a great player that happens to also be their greatest need just fall in their lap uh, won't happen this year for the for the Ravens. Uh, I, I think I, I think Thibodeau goes goes top ten. Uh, I, I just can't see why he wouldn't, and I think, and I think there's enough smart player personnel folks with their draft boards that that that'll hold true. And in the end, that might well be the case. I, I've been looking at a number of mock drafts out there, which is the other thing that was making me think this. So just like you know, what what is up with this national psychosis right now that appears to be out there? Everyone taking these crazy pills that this guy isn't going to be uh, one of the next great edge rushers uh, in the NFL, and uh, it is. Definitely uh, a position, Jason, that has a, a good amount of talent there. Uh, it, it has depth. It has some spectacular players at the top. Defensive end uh, is definitely one here that uh, is uh, celebrated and justifiably so. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, the second out of Florida State, he's been rising upwards uh, recently here. Uh, Trayvon Walker, some people are hot and cold on him. Uh, he's a guy who could also play inside or outside on the line, depending on what you want to do with him. So, uh, but defensive end is definitely uh, one of the top positions here, Jay. Yeah, it's probably my favorite of this draft to really get into uh, because for what we just spent some time talking about with um, with Thibodeau, uh, uh, Walker is just the opposite. Walker is the guy you look at is a little raw. He just He's not a polished finished product yet, but the frame is there, the speed is there, and you see the upside. So then the question becomes: I've seen people, and I'm, you know, I'm flirting with it myself, of putting him at number two, Trayvon Walker, just based on upside alone and how everyone seems to be in love with him. Whereas we're we're nitpicking someone like Kayvon Thibodeau, who at least has the body work and is a little bit more polished. 
uh, from a technique standpoint. Uh, but yeah, even as we follow this one down down the line, uh, Colossus from Purdue is a really nice player if you can get him in the middle, late first round. Um, you mentioned Johnson. He's the guy that is rising pretty quickly. Um, and then once you start getting into the back end of the, the first round and into the meat of the second round, you're still going to find guys who project to be a, you know, a starter at defensive end. Um, now, whether they pan out to be the next whoever, that's something different. We'll get into that. But right now, if you just look at the concentration of where these players look like they should fall, if you're a team that needs to improve your pass rush, yeah, I'd be focusing those that in those first 70 picks because there's going to be somebody there that is a difference maker. So that is one of the position groups I really do like. It's a little weird at the top, and people are trying to paint their picture so that one guy seems head and shoulders above the rest. But I I don't want to say it's, it's a can't miss, but I definitely think if you come out of here with one of the top seven or eight defensive ends, you probably feel pretty good about that pick. One more thing I want to say about Walker, Jason, and this is a thing where uh, again, we all have our own various thoughts on the draft and uh, the, the different perspectives we bring to it. One of the things that I always bring to uh, my, my evaluation of any athlete is always their pedigree. So for me, I look at Walker. Uh, every one of Kirby Smart's draft classes at Georgia has been a highly decorated one. Just being at Georgia means you were a highly coveted uh, athlete there. So I always look at that, that what the perception was of a player coming out of high school. That, to me, for these purposes, is the definition of the pedigree. And so if you draft him, even if you have to do some developmental work, I think that's what makes you feel good about it, is that this guy has been prized for a number of years now. Yeah, I love that you brought up the Georgia dynamic, because we don't have this every year. Um, If you go down the list and say list for me the top three players at every single position. You're going to have some that don't have any, but outside of that, you're going to find Georgia throughout, possibly the number one safety. There's a receiver there that I love if I could get to the bottom of the uh, locker room. Nonsense. Uh, two defensive tackles. There's an offensive lineman. There's It's everywhere. Georgia, for whatever they've done over the last couple of years, they are really developing their players, and I honestly would not be surprised at all to hear after the fact of a DM, you know, when with full draft day was like, I need a Georgia player no matter what, because most of them are ranking very, very high. Yeah. Well, and you know, this just in, they did win the national championship last year. So, uh, the, uh, the players really, uh, most of them, I think, uh, got the full accounting out of themselves during their college career. Uh, it's ironic that Walker may or may not be one of them because he still may have a ways to go developmentally. But uh, Chris, in, in looking at this here, uh, defensive end, uh, again, a lot of depth, a lot of very good options at this position. Uh, if you're a team that needs an edge rusher and you can get in position here in this draft for, as Jason said, probably any one of a number of guys, potentially even six or seven, you should be in really good shape. I can tell you what GM will be looking at Georgia players. His name is Andrew Berry. Yep. Because he loves him some SEC talent. Mm-hmm. You should. <laughs> that is clearly one of his. That is one of his guardrails. Uh, so I, I'm pretty sure he'll be all over um, every bit of that uh, Georgia class coming out. 
Um, it's it's deep, and and actually, and I refresh my memory. Didn't Jermaine Johnson transfer from Georgia? I think so. Yeah, I think I think he actually did, um, and ended up at Ohio or at Florida State. Um, so I, I like the I like the depth and the talent here. Um, I I am a little concerned about uh, Carlactis. I mean, if you can get him late first round, that's fine. I I do worry that he's a bit of an upright player. Stick seems kind of stiff but without any bend to me. So I worry about that at the next level. And he and he he ran about a four eight, so he's a little slow. Um, so I just, I, he's a player that I worry about. I know great college player. Um, I do worry about him at the next level, uh, producing consistently though. Um, but overall, I, you know, I, I think it's a great, it's a great talent class on the edge rusher. Uh, I think the kid out of uh, Michigan who hurt his knee or was it his Achilles, uh, Ojabo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think he could be a real great find if you can get him in the second round and you're willing to you know, late five or six games into the season to get him back on the field. He's a guy I think could end up being uh, a late bloomer. Um, you know, only a redshirt sophomore uh, coming out, uh, you know, young. Uh, he's got the frame. He's got the speed. You know, I think he ran about a four or five. I mean, he's, he's fast. So he's a guy I like. If you, can get him, if you can get him in the second round, you're getting, I think, potentially – you know, half a round higher in terms of talent value in a pick like that. There it is, the most important word of the entire process, value. That's the one we always bang on every year, whether you're talking fantasy drafts, quote-unquote real drafts. Then, uh, again, this is a a, a precept that uh, never should be uh, overlooked uh, by any team here, and too often is, by the way, and that was where, yeah, and, and, and uh, there, there are any number of times we can go back over the years and see where uh, teams have reached for a player. Frequently, it will be a quarterback, uh, as uh, we had referenced previously. It's going to be kind of hard to reach on the top defensive ends because the, most of them just are that great and, and have that kind of value to them. I dare say that could be the case also for wide receiver, which, uh, again, any number of times since 2014. 2014, we said, wow, this is the best class since 96. And they've just kind of kept coming. Not every year, but man, oh man, it is incredible in recent years, the crop of wide receivers there. And if you want to look at how the game has changed and gotten to be so much more wide open the last couple of years, look no further than the fact that the, the wide receiver crop in the NFL has never been deeper in terms of great players and it's going to get even deeper next year. And, uh, Jason, we've got uh, a, uh, a little thingy that you'd uh, written up here that will be in the uh, draft guide here. You went through on the uh, wide receivers. Uh, this is how you had them slotted. Uh, Wilson, Williams, Olave, London, Dotson, Watson, Burks, and more. Uh, but you really had good things to say about just about all of them. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm going to upset some people with this one. Wide receiver shakes out very interestingly, and when when I started working on it, um, the one thing that jumped out at me, and this is going to definitely rub traditionalists the wrong way, I don't care who you are looking at at wide receiver, go go name by name by name, and I honestly believe you can separate this wide receiver class in under six two, 
or six three and over. And the, the part that's going to upset people is if you are one of these that has got to have a prototype, you're looking for six three plus, two twenty plus, runs a four three or less. You're going to be upset because the guys that fit that are few and far between, and the ones that fit that are not the better receivers. If you're looking for the best possible receiver, you're going to get somebody smaller. And that case in point, uh, I would say if I had to guess, 60 to 65% of the talking heads and mocks out there are suggesting that Drake London from USC at 6'5 and 217-ish is the the class of the group. And it really just flat out is he's slow. He doesn't get in and out of breaks all that quick. Uh, and, and by and large, he looks like Antonio Gates playing football, which is not a bad thing. But you need more than that to be an elite prospect. So I've dropped him down a peg or two. And then the one that's really going to shock people, and I think it's because you, you, people got to stop watching highlights. Traylon Burks had a bunch of traction leading into the combine. Look how big he is. Look at the big plays he has. He's always open, and he catches with his arms as opposed to his hands entirely too much. Uh, there are receivers throughout history, um, and I could, I could use my own loyalties and give an example, but we'll speed past it. Um, guys that catch with their arms are predisposed to giving up turnovers. It's a scary thing, and when you have one that does it all the time, it's infuriating. So... The four five five forty was almost a death nail for me because if he's going to be that big, he better be fast. Otherwise, there's too many things in the way. Now, those are the two big names everyone seems to be wanting to talk about. Uh, Garrett Wilson, Olave, Jamison Williams, Christian Watson, Jahan Dotson, John Mitchell. There are receivers in this draft that are very good, right? How many of them are going to be the next Calvin Johnson or the next uh, – Odell Beckham, I, I, I can't really speak to that because if we're going to pick anybody, it's probably Garrett Wilson or Jameson Williams just because they're so fast and so shifty and they can take the top off. But if you're a team that isn't in a position to draft in that first 20, oh, man, uh, Christian Watson is a prospect dream. He, he tested out in the 99th percentile. Uh, John Menchie might be the best route runner who's not going to go in the top so there, there's speed, there's hands, there's blocking, there's something to be had clear to the third round. So, yeah, I'm very excited about the wide receivers. I would just warn any of the listeners that whoever you think number one is might not actually be number one when it shakes out. Jason, in the interest of equal time, uh, I just got a text in, don't ask me how, from the agent of Drake London, who has responded to what you said with uh, outside of being slow and unable to get separation, there's nothing wrong with my client. So just want to give that equal time there to him. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed he's already listening to this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. I mean, he must be using the NSA because we're not airing this live. I, I'm not exactly sure how, but, uh, you know, That's yeah. Uh, because the, the things that Drake London's not great at, are the things the other guys are great at and why people are looking at them as complete receivers. So, yeah, he probably should have put a request in to get on the show so we could go point, (laughs) counterpoint. But, yeah, high-pointing the ball and being able to rebound does not overtake 
great hands, clean route running, and gaining separation. Absolutely. I think that uh, is that should, everything you said there should be very uncontroversial. And uh, it, it, just the fact that you have to say that is, is really kind of sad in terms of the common understanding of football these days. Uh, uh, let's face it, not everyone out there is capable of having football conversations on caliber with this one. And uh, with, with that said, I will uh, reach over and make the tag to Chris because, uh, Chris, I know you would like to rhapsodize about this uh, class of wide receivers also because it is another special one. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree with Jason on, on, on Drake London. I just don't see it. I see a guy who's not a great route runner and he's slow. I, I don't, after that, I'm like, okay, he's big and uh, he can get contested catches. Um, he better be good at that because he's they're always going to be being contested when you're not good at route running and you're slow. Um, <laughs> I just I just don't I just don't see it. And, and maybe you know maybe Jason's onto something. Maybe the future for that young man is actually to uh, put on put on weight and move him to tight end. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's really where he ought to be playing. Uh, you know that sort of pass catching tight end in this league. Uh, in a different role where he's not asked to take the top off or anything like that, he, 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 could, he could potentially have a great career, uh, but the team's going to have to figure that out real quick. Look, I, I, these, some of these guys are just so exciting. Uh, I have, I have Jamison Williams as my number one. I think five years from now he will be the looked at as the best of, of this class. Um, and, and then I have basically tied at second um, Chris Olave and, and uh, Garrett Wilson. Um, to me, there's not much daylight between those guys in terms of skill and ability. Um, so it, it's very hard for me to, to say one over the other. You know, you know, maybe you give a slight uh, slight edge to, uh, you know, some people would give it to Wilson. Um, again, I, not a lot of daylight. I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those players. I like them both a lot. Um George Pickens, Georgia, it's mm-hmm. uh, six foot three, ran a four four seven. There's a guy I like a lot. Um, he's not getting a lot of love right now. Um, you know, second round love, not you know, not terrible, but certainly not being talked about as sort of a top five guy. I think he actually is. And then uh, a guy that I really like and could think could be the sort of the, the Cooper Cup of this of this draft. Uh, Alex Pierce out of uh, Cincinnati, 6'3", ran a 4-4-1, um, catches with his hands. Uh, I think he's one of these guys that's going to end up being uh, a much better pro than he was uh, even in college, and he was solid in college. Um, I think he's a, I think he has got a game and a body and a frame that's built for uh, the pros. So I really like him, and if you can get him at the bottom of the second round or top of the third round uh i think you're you're getting a player uh with that kid who could develop into something uh pretty special i agree and you you really can't uh, put a price tag on uh those type of players because again you don't have to pay full freight to be able to get them when they do uh, develop into uh their ceiling 